She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Tunic and Fog of Love. This is Staying In. So, Pete, you've got an Alexa, haven't you? I have, yes. How have you found it? How long have you had that for? I've had it since it was first available. I was one of the um, <laughs> early adopters. One of those things. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I was. I was part of the early adoption program. So basically, um, what they and <laughs> hang on, you know, there was a program. Yeah. So basically. Now, I will say this. It did feel a little bit like it might be a scam, like like Amazon turning around and saying, we're letting you buy from us early. <laughs> um, uh, but it was basically, when it came to the UK, there was like an early part of it, I think, where um, you had it was kind of like an invite-only basis to begin with because they thought it was going to be absolutely massive. Um, so I got like one of the first ones. And how have I found it? Um, the problem with it, it's a good bit of it's a good device. It's a really good device. The problem with it is I live with Alex and it's always listening for for the on word. So you can't call it an Alexa because it'll just turn on all the time because I'll say I'll say hey Alex can I and then Alexa will go oh I can do that for you and it feels a little <laughs> bit you know there might be some might be some sort of competition between the yeah, two of them. Alex took it personally, right? <laughs> yeah. Um so can't do that. Um, I'm a really huge fan of Star Trek. And so the problem with that is that every single time we're on the bridge, they go, computer. So you can't call it computer, which is one of the three other active words that you could call it. Uh, because, for example, uh, we were watching Next Generation and Picard said something like, computer, calculate the time distortion mass, blah, 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 blah. And then you can see the device in the corner go, working. Just steam working. coming out of it. <laughs> And it was just like, I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that one. And it was like, well, fair enough. That is the nerdiest thing. I know, right? <laughs> well, what activated your Alexa? Patrick Stewart. I don't know Patrick who is next Stewart. gen. So, am I right? Yeah, you're right. Well done. Well done. Well done. Um, and so, uh, and that's cool. Uh, so the only other active word that they have is Amazon. And fortunately, because I am a scab... Uh, I buy everything <laughs> through through that. So if we're like, oh, we should do an Amazon order, yeah, it's always getting the information. It's always hearing like, I can. It will say, I'll say, oh, we should buy that on a, off of Amazon, and then uh, the little Alexa thing will say, do you want me to add it to your order? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't like living in the future. Have you just got one then, Chris? No. The reason I mention it is that. I was staying, I went away for the weekend, I was staying in a and b mm. and we were in the deluxe room, which comes with these oh. mod cons, yeah. and it was just a typical kind of Airbnb room, very nice, lovely view, sea view, um, up near Whitby. Mm. Your typical Airbnb. Uh, Your typical. Well, not Airbnb, sorry, a B&B, so, and, oh. and the, the owner of the B&B said, oh, if you want to... If you ever want to kind of increase your heating, just oh, ask right, okay. Alexa to do it. Everyone oh. has an Alexa in their rooms. <laughs> How does that, that? That doesn't work. <laughs> can, I, can I just say because I have I have four of them and I can do that with my heating. Four? Yeah, no, but okay. but Dan, you live in a house which is just occupied by you and your family. Chris is staying at a bed and breakfast, which I'm sure is occupied occupied by many different people so i'll tell you six rooms sam and <laughs> one night we had a shower before bed and it was quite cold and the next day i went down to breakfast and we overheard the owner talking to a table and the woman there just i don't know how this alexa thing works i asked it to do the heating this kind of thing and he says well we looked at your history and you just turned the hot water off but you turned the hot water off for everyone in the building <laughs> Oh my god! So oh. ironing out some kinks. It's a nice but idea, it, I, but it, it's bizarre because we were just joking around with it. So about you know throughout the weekend, I was saying, "Oh, Amazon, tell me about the smuggling history in Whitby, uh, in Robin Hood's Bay, or tell us a joke." <laughs> but he, but the owner's reading all the history of this stuff. Why isn't that an invasion of privacy? Did he, did you not like sign so, a waiver? Before? So there's a so there's also there's another really interesting aspect of this which is really dark but also really funny so one of the things that the 
they're trying to they they were talking about pushing through at this point is uh there were a load of emails that went out to people who to landlords saying hey buy an alexa put it in your property that you rent out and your tenants can ask you anything directly through the alexa application and what that what the worry there was was like yeah but also they can call you at any time and listen in in the space at any time because that's the functionality they have yeah like, that, that's that's a functionality i very when i when i first got it i very quickly turned off that i turned that off immediately it was like no you do not need to hear me singing yeah, like, so that's so, Chris. That's that's a functionality where it's just I think it's just called drop in. And one of the ideas of it, I think, is if so, you can call someone who perhaps for has mobility issues and they can't get to the phone. Great idea. Lovely. It can literally you can start a call and it will just drop you into their living room and you can then talk to them. But obviously, there's yeah. no kind of access yeah. point, so you have to turn it off. Can yeah. I just check though? So is Alexa like always recording, always listening? No, no. So or, so always listening. Yeah, so Dan's right. It's always listening, not always recording, and it's listening for very specific things. So it's the reason. So the what the the reason that there's only a small number of wake words is because it's it's waiting for you to say alert, and it, when it hears that, it turns on and goes. Does it? Do they finish the sentence? Do they finish the sir bit? At which point, I will now start recording. So okay. that, that's how that stuff works. They're not always. So they're, yes, they're always listening but they're not always recording and sending that information back. So that's right. how that stuff works. It, it's a really weird concept to get your head around. Like, yes, this massive big data company is always listening in my house. Like, very strange. In the, uh, in the wake of the podcast last time when I was raving about a peter willington recommendation yeah. uh can i rave about another peter willington recommendation this hey there we go um because i'm still in between waiting for god of war ragnarok to come out so i'm kind of just just dipping my toes in little bits and pieces little games here and there to seeing what takes my fancy uh rabbits mario rabbits sparks of hope comes out in a yep. couple of days which um should be fantastic Mm-hmm. Um, apparently it's pretty good but before then i've been playing ace combat 7 skies unknown oh yes what a game what a game i didn't really know i've never played an ace combat game before and the first thing it the first thing the first choice it makes you choose is what difficulty do you want to play it on <laughs> and um i knew this wasn't like an aircraft an air like jet fighter simulator per se but i knew it's like you know flying planes and dog fighting and whatnot so um i went on to reddit to try and find out what would be the best difficulty to play it on because it says easy if it's your first ever ace combat experience and normal if you want it a bit um if, if you played an ace combat game before so i was like eh, what do i go on and it was whilst on reddit that i stumbled across this review which um <laughs> I think it's equally the best and worst review of Ace Combat 7 um, I think exists. Um, if you're curious at what being... If you're curious at all at what being a jet pilot is like, you won't find any other game close to Ace Combat. Amazing game for people looking for a jet fighter experience, bar none. Um, and, and it goes on and it says, Too long, didn't read. This game is the embodiment of Dark Souls of jet fighter games. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, they. If I say one thing about Ace Combat Seven is if this is what jet fighting is really like, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm you know you know movies sign they, me up, sign me up because this looks exciting, thrilling. I, I can do it minimal training. <laughs> going into war zones with little to no knowledge of what you should really be doing <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, yeah i can see the dark souls comparison actually 
because you you kind of have to go in and die a bunch of times and then go oh they wanted me to do this i don't <laughs> right, know i'm okay. playing on easy so it's pretty simple it is i mean I, I read all these reviews and i got really excited playing it and it's only when i started playing it that i realized it's not a jet fighter simulator or a fighter jet simulator it's not a dog fighter simulator it's a tom cruise simulator yeah, like is, never yeah. before in my life have i ever felt like i'm yeah. bloody tom cruise on my settee it's it's you feel so, so cool and the soundtrack is probably one of my favorite video game soundtracks of all time like it is the audio superb. design and the audio design it's just yeah. incredible when you go up above the cloud or go through the clouds and the audio just takes over it's like oh, yeah it's can so you, good can you play it multiplayer <laughs> yes chris oh chris <laughs> so okay <laughs> amazing when the game came out was just when all the Battle Royale games were coming out. And so, because it's Namco, and they're just like, we can do that as well. Someone clearly, clearly, some very, very evil producer or something along those lines, said, right, turn Ace Combat, a game ostensibly in the air, with no cover, no nothing like that, turn it into a Battle Royale game in multiplayer, right? So it's so there's a mode in it in which there are 20 aircraft and you need to be the last aircraft flying, right? But of course... But it's, that no, is basically Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, but there's no cover. There's no... You just... They're over there. You just fly there. You shoot them. Um, it is... it And, and so, you know, they were, they were really hyping it up as like the first ever air combat, uh, like, battle royale game. It was like, no. Um, it, it is like... Yeah, it, it makes you feel so rad. To put it into perspective, it's it's the kind of thing that happens only in AAA when they have so much money that they can just do these one-off things that makes you just feel cool. It has no real significant like gameplay value. So, for example, you only ever have to take off once, right? In the, the entire campaign. Spoilers. But basically... <laughs> You you you, oh. you taxi you taxi to the thing, and, and this is the very first mission. And you take off, and the whole thing is just built to make you go, "I'm cool." Like, yeah. like that's that's it. Like, you never have to do it again. You never have to worry about that stuff. You're just, what does it feel like to scramble into a jet plane and go and take out some enemies? And it feels hecking amazing. That's what it feels like. So the multiplayer is only this battle royale, or could there be are, there are a team couple up. of other modes as well? But honestly, it, but what could, you do but, is you you play the campaign and then you play the multiplayer and go, ha! and then you never touch it ever again. I think Chris like has got this idea of us flying in formation, kind of formation is uh, a strong word, Dan. It's yeah, a, this, right, okay. No. So no, it's competitive <laughs> multiplayer. Oh right, okay. So it's like twenty different nations all having beef with one another, but but or, but, but only sending one plane. But only sending yes. one plane. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I I don't know why you would play the multiplayer when the campaign no. is so brilliantly right. bonkers. Like mm. the the weird the weird thing. Like I was watching it and going like this. I cannot piece this story together. It's it's no. it's just all over the place. Like and and slowly like. The more missions you play, the more the story starts to make sense. It's coming and whether together. it's just, and whether it's just like Stockholm syndrome because you've been playing the game for several hours and you're just like lending yourself to it, or it's actually a really good story you just don't know. It's like someone is like someone at Namco was asked to write. Could you write a really interesting story about a couple of nations at war? Yeah, how, how much lore do you want me to write? Oh, tons, tons, like years loads, and years loads. of lore, like loads. Yeah. Put loads, loads really. You're on out this for the, the next three years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, and like, what kind of game is this? What kind of game is this going to be put to? Shh, shh, don't, shh, don't worry. Shh, don't worry. Don't worry about it. And, don't worry. and like, they wrote this like really intricate, really dense and interesting narrative, mm. and it just got slapped onto a fighter jet game. <laughs> Ace Combat Seven is is a game from. It's like somebody went back to the PS2 era and took all the gameplay ideas. And then brought it back to the modern times and went, just do that, but with better visuals, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it, it's brilliant. And here's the amazing thing about the storyline. This is just Ace Combat 7's part of mm. that storyline, Sam. Yeah. If you think that, like, this is like, <laughs> this is like a localized skirmish within the wider Ace Combat lore. And after I finished the game, I immediately went onto Wikipedia. I was immediately like, what else do I need to know about this incredible thing? <laughs> yeah. And it is amazing. Have you finished the game, Sam? 
No, no, no. I'm about halfway through. Okay. I will not spoil it for you. The final mission is absolutely incredible. Like, like it is... By the end of it, you're like... All I all I was saying, I I, I literally shouted into because this was in the old flat. I literally shouted, Alex, you need to come and see this. You just you just what what is it? I'm busy. You need to come and see how this game is playing. And like she was like, all right, I'll come. It's amazing. Like I like, cannot I cannot wait. Like like Chris and Dan, it's just like all those moments that you see in like like like, like those those really like high intense moments from like films like Top Gun where you hear the beeps of the missile coming it goes beep and then it gets closer and closer and closer and closer and you just dodge out of it at the last moment you see it fly like past your wing like you just oh you're such a badass and the other day I did like there's these other missions which are called like destruction missions where you literally just got to go in and destroy as much of like an enemy base as you can do and there was this one where it's like in a canyon and I was literally like flying through a canyon dropped a bomb and mm. um like i had to swerve out the way for a missile and ended up like heading straight towards like a, a sheer rock face i had to like immediately like pull up pull up pull up pull up and like the alarms going off going pull up pull up pull up and there's like a missile on my back i'm just like trying to just dodge this rock face and then I just like tip over the top missile explodes and then it's sort of like oh this banging soundtrack it's That's such so good. a good did you game have you seen that there's dlc for it now Oh, I don't need to know that. You do need to know that because it's Top Gun DLC. Oh. (laughs) Of course it is. Okay, now I'm interested. Okay, because you you know how in this this podcast we are are prone to, at times, um, maybe jumping the gun in terms of the games we've played, the films we've seen, the TV shows, perhaps saying quite early on that it's the best thing I've ever seen or played or done. Um, I'm going to throw my hat into that uh, ring and say I'm be playing my game of the year. Um, Ooh, yes, which is a game serious, I'm most surprised Dan. that it's my game of the year. Um, and that is, I've been playing Tunic. So Tunic is a game by Andrew Shouldice, published by Finji, and it's kind of like a uh, Legend of Zelda meets Demon Souls uh, or Dark Souls meets Animal Crossing. It's It's not the kind of game that I ever usually go for. Um, it came out, I think, in March on PC and Xbox, and has just recently come out in September on PlayStation. So I and saw, Switch. I think actually, I, thought, I think I may have even seen like a listener talking about it, like on Twitter or something. And so I thought I, they talked about it being this great game. I thought I'll have a look at it. It wasn't kind of too expensive when I when I looked. Thought I'll I'll have a go. Not really knowing too much about it. I've never played Legend of Zelda. I've never played Dark Souls, so I don't have those kind <laughs> of connections. And it's an isometric kind of puzzle-based, kind of bit of a dungeon crawler, set in this kind of really kind of picturesque, bright, colourful, kind of blocky world with a really cutesy kind of aesthetic, which is why I kind of lean towards kind of the, the references to Animal Crossing. So you play this kind of, this the protagonist, a little fox that runs around, and you literally just wake up on this beach of this isometric world, and you start walking around. The game gives you no details about what you're meant to be doing, and you just start walking around. Occasionally, you might come up to something that you can interact with, but a lot of the time, if you try and interact with something, like the kind of the the message will come up, but the message will be in a language that you can't understand. So, for example, I'll go up to a well, and the well will come up, and it'll say something. I don't know what that thing is, so I can't do anything with it. And so you walk around, and what's kind of lovely about the game is you just slowly unpick certain little bits and pieces and then once you've done that it opens up another little avenue over here and then over here and as i've been playing it what felt like a relatively small world to begin with has got exponentially bigger and bigger and bigger and you can go deeper under the surface or you go higher above the clouds and there's just so many different places that i can go with it so quite early on you one of the first things you find is you find a sword so then you can do your kind of your regular fight with the enemy so up until that point you've had maybe just a stick that you can hit enemies with so you've kind of had to do a lot more kind of stealth but the way it kind of blends in with kind of the dark souls ideas you definitely have that kind of play die repeat learn play die repeat all that over again so what starts off as being a really difficult area to navigate 
you have that joyful thing of after a period of time you can come in and you are running darting to each individual place killing different enemies in time because you know exactly where they're going to be and it feels really kind of nice and kind of really really nicely played around a level that's really delicately placed it's it's a it's a lovely game all about just exploration it's labyrinthine in its design there is like because of the isometric viewpoint you're getting lots of little hidden areas because the perspective hides around corners or hides behind a waterfall and so you can always search around every little thing and there are so many little passageways that you can only find by walking into that hidden space to see if there's anything there and the the way it does all that and it gives you those things makes it so lovely to just wander and explore and just there are so many times when i didn't know what i had to do next so i just spent half an hour walking around and suddenly oh i can go here now that i couldn't go before or i've stumbled across something or i found a new hidden passage or if i really couldn't figure out what to do i would just kind of say you know what i'm done for tonight and then the next day within maybe 10 minutes of playing i've again i found something new and i found a whole new area and then three hours later i'm still playing and it's i think my favorite tutorial of all time because the way it works as i said at the start like it gives you no information but what it does is slowly, as the game progresses, you find um, items which are pages. And these are pages from the manual. And so at any point you can press with with places, you'd, you'd press a button and it would open up what you've found of the manual. So there various pages. And you're not finding them in sequence. You're finding random pages which are beautifully illustrated. Um, they have a combination of some words you can understand, other words you can't. And you're just given fragments of pieces of information so you're given half of a map because you haven't so, found the other page yet and so, so when you as say the some game words you understand some words you don't some, some of the words are literally english oh right, okay, okay okay kind of within within a within a paragraph of text you might have the odd english words in there the rest of it is all um symbols and, and hieroglyphics so you're seeing that i can't tell and I, i'm i don't know because i've not been able to work it out if that is changing at all as the game progresses, if perhaps over a period of time it's changed a couple of the words because of the level of knowledge that the game, the player would have if they've changed. I don't think so, but it kind of feels like it might have because you're you're constantly getting these new pages and it's expanding and you're introduced to... And there's like there might be a page on an enemy, but you've only got half of that page. So you know from... At one point, you know something about the enemy, but you don't know everything about the enemy. And it might be their weakness, it might be their backstory, which then completely changes how you view them. Like, there was a moment where I learned something about one of the just kind of general enemies that was just like, like boom, like my mind was blown. I was like, that's amazing, what you've done there is incredible. And so you have these maps and you have, you get like a page which is, this is a little map of the frog domain. I have no idea what that is, but I know at some point in the game there is going to be a frog domain. Um, and it's just, it's a such an amazing way. I get so excited when I see that there's a page that I can try and find because I'm really excited to see what's it going to add to that entire experience then. Because I can then look at that and it might change the way I'm working. So there is there is like a, a, a turret that might come up. And then to begin with, it's kind of like an impossible enemy that I can't get past. But then later on, I, I discover a page which tells me how I can just get past it. And then suddenly, there you go. It's easy. I, now that I know, it's not told me that. Unless I'm sitting there trying every single button combination and every single tactic, eventually I would stumble across it. But up until that point, it's just been a, a part of the map I can't get past. Now suddenly, I have this tactic that it's re- organically revealed to me. What, what do you think it's doing that... that stops you as a player getting frustrated with that as a mechanic because it could quite easily be like well you don't know how to get past this but we're just not going to tell you until you find you find what that that could very easily be very grating be be quite annoying and be quite frustrating but it sounds like oh it's just it's just you know part of the design or to go with it like how what do you think it's doing that's stopping that becoming a frustrating part of the the game design. Well, that exa- that exact thing has always put me off. Kind of the Dark Souls game, that idea of we yeah. want this to be hard for you, 
that's part of the game. You have to struggle with it. And mm. I never feel like I'm struggling with Tunic. I always feel like it's how the game kind of wants me to play it. And I, I always know, you know, kind of great level design and game design where you're navigating around a map and you feel as though you're choosing your own path completely by yourself but actually the game is taking you on a journey but you feel like you're making all those decisions and that's that's always excellent level design that makes you feel like the player is choosing when actually not they're being directed in some way i think this game does that a lot so there'll be plenty of times where there's a a part of the map that i need to get to but i've had to get a b c d and e in order to get there and i finally got them and then i get there and then once i'm there i discover there was actually a shortcut all along that i could have used but you can only really figure it out once you're on that other side. And then suddenly you can always use it. Um, That's very Dark Souls, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've got, you've got the whole thing of re- uh, kind of um, every time you die, um, you kind of, you're, you're resurrected and you have that kind of a spirit that you can try and find. Um, I don't think you get kind of, you do, there is an element of kind of gathering souls, but it's, it's, it's more about gems that you're kind of collecting as you kill enemies. Um, and then every time you, you die the enemies return but everything else you've done remains so if you have mm-hmm. dropped down a bridge creating a shortcut that will always be there if you have collected an item you will always have that item in the same way that if you've spent an item you don't get it back the enemy is the only things that return so having having that and like there are times when I'm like okay there's a there's a there's a kind of a a gauntlet i have to run either i kind of spend ages trying to kill all these enemies and probably die because there are a lot of difficult enemies or i just try and sprint as hard as i can to the end just to drop that bridge at the end because i know when i die i've got that shortcut then i want to talk about she hulk do i want to talk Uh, about she hulk i do do. yeah sam you described the first episode as average i'm not gonna lie Mm -hmm. i've had ups and downs of it yep and I think I'm going to enjoy it more when I watch. If I watch, go back and watch the whole thing in one go, because I think a yes. lot of my dislike it places was because I was worried I was being pulled towards the Marvel formula and the Marvel blueprints. Mm. And I'm still processing. I only watched the finale yesterday. Whether they fully stuck the landing or not, because notoriously these Marvel shows tend to just do the same thing towards their ending. For listeners who aren't aware of She-Hulk, it was a character. I didn't. Know, I didn't know this until recently. the The character of She Hulk in the comics was created because of the TV series, the Bill Bixby TV series. I did not know that. So the Bill Bixby TV series years ago, which I think in the UK was on ITV quite a lot. The creators, the Marvel creators of She Hulk of of the Hulk, were very scared at Marvel that the TV series would just create their own female version in live action. That's what it would debut, similar to um, the Bionic Woman with the Bionic Man. So to preempt that they created this character in the comics, She-Hulk. And the whole premise is, I think her parents are killed in, by gangsters, and, or she's shot at by gangsters, and she needs a blood transfusion. And weirdly, her cousin decides, yeah, I'll give you some of my blood. Yes, it's heavily radiated with gamma radiation, <laughs> but apparently it's a very rare blood type, and we're just going to hopefully just try and draw the bits of blood Let's out. Let's not pay too much attention to this plot device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fast forward to 2019 when it was announced they're going to do a She-Hulk TV series at Disney+. Plus. And they've kind of retconned a little bit of that storyline. You have a lawyer, Jennifer Walters, uh, played by the fantastic Tatiana Maslany, who I must confess I'd never yeah. seen anything before. I heard that she was amazing in Orphan Black. Um, she's a fantastic improviser, kind of comedic actor, as well as a kind of fantastic drama actor. And she's a- an absolute powerhouse. And there's so many great performances in this series from a fantastic cast. Yes. Ginger Gonzalez, who plays her friend Nikki, who I think is probably one of the best friends I've yeah, ever seen. I, depicted I love that ever. character. Yeah. And it was mooted as this kind of like legal drama where it's kind of the case of the week. And it's like looking at all the kind of kerfuffles and issues of all these different kind of types of marvel kind of ask you know the astral plane um just bog standard kind of like industrial espionage to kind of very petty kind of disputes through in the in the courtroom and at its best i think it worked very well as that kind of case of the week you know draw a line on it bang your gavel move on and at the time I, I saw it as a kind of like what we'd seen in many Marvel shows that you kind of get these through lines that are pulling it away to a larger, grandiose plot yeah. 
and you start to get i started getting anxious and oh right okay you know how many years has the marvel universe been around oh yeah okay we've got a big bad yep oh something about her blood okay they keep lingering that on previously on she hulk okay great this is where we're going to and it's a shame because i really liked the kind of fourth wall breaking you get in the comics where she'll turn towards the camera make a kind of a wry kind of critique of the marvel cinematic universe and then go back to her kind of daily job say for example Hmm. um and it's really it's fizzing it's poppy it's fun uh the characters are incredible it's it's so incredibly likable but there was this kind of tension there of like oh are we gonna get what i know sam you've spoken about before in miss marvel where it just became a bit of a it became a bit of a kind of cookie cutter marvel kind of thing at the end Mm -hmm. yeah Um, because that's what it wants when i get to the end of she hulk now i've realized actually how i've kind of been duped to an extent in the best way possible and how to a degree they've really sought to kind of subvert that and draw attention to that fact and lead you down this particular way um this particular way of thinking to subvert that perspective and it you realize actually thinking back on it and i said this in the whatsapp chat i think it's generally got one of the scariest kind of villains i've ever encountered in a marvel series because it is real this isn't like some space guard who comes and clicks his fingers that's not going to happen spoilers it's just not going to happen mm. but the, the villain in this is a genuinely pervasive pervasive threat that really does make me anxious and worries me and that is incels huh what? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed seeing seeing the twist in in Pete's face there. Yeah, genuinely, like as, genuinely. As he tried to figure like, out if that was really the word he heard. Yeah, as yeah. in, sorry, just just the 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 so the manosphere. Like, yeah, I was going to call them a culture, but I guess I mean culture as in yogurt, like that kind of yeah. that kind of group yeah. of yeah, yeah young yeah. yeah angry men basically. Yeah, and yes. it, and it, Richard, our friend from We're Not Wizards, was saying that like. It, it almost felt like they were putting up a new episode each week because it just it felt so on point in terms of how they were reacting exactly and commenting on exactly how hmm. a certain group of, of Marvel fans or comic book aficionados would react to the, the whole concept of a She-Hulk TV series. It's almost like they knew what it hmm. was going to be like. And that's both really prescient and very sad. Yeah, especially when a lot of her shtick is very similar to Deadpool's, you know, and I think they have done that for some formatting reasons i.e it makes it a lot easier to introduce deadpool into the mcu now that they've already got a character who is aware of the fourth wall and breaks it Mm. it makes that transition a bit a bit easier yeah i think they the series is smart in the way that it kind of plays with fire in that in, in that regard like they know that people are waiting for all these iconic characters to now come back in since they bought fox and they and you know in a way that it just feels like a little bit of baiting sometimes from Marvel yeah. that like I I like I genuinely don't think we're going to get um, the Fantastic Four or mutants or a new X Men until the end of Secret Wars because I think I genuinely think they're going to come from the planet that in, that causes that that crashes into they had, Earth. Just so you know, Sam, they have announced the Fantastic Four film coming before that. Yeah, so. But that'll probably be set on another Earth. Right. If you yeah. see what I mean. Yeah, that, that's how they do it. Because it's it the universe, the MCU has been going on now for so long that it's starting to become untenable to constantly say, yeah, but where have you been for the last 20 years? Like, it's a lot easier to say we were on another planet in a universe. Fair enough, fine. We don't have to have that discussion of where have you been for the last 20 years and why haven't you helped out in all of these X, Y, Z of of things? So anyway, back to She-Hulk. Yeah, I think I'm just a little bit torn about the series in general because I think it's, as a TV series, I think it's doing some really, really interesting things. Like as a sitcom, I think it does some really good stuff. The characters are great. Some of the writing's really sharp. Some of the way it subverts... Um, sitcom tropes is really interesting but then it's just got this Marvel-ness to it which is I, I, I don't know just yes yeah, it's it a bit great thrill me as much any t- anymore I'm really interested in how Jen 
wrestles between not wanting to be a superhero, wanting to be a lawyer, that they spent the years of training how to do this, and now, out of chance, they, they've become this superpower thing, and they yes, just want to Chris, actually become because, a lawyer. Because this is, this is, that's my favourite bit about the series as well, because there are some times in She-Hulk where it's very, very upfront about its, about its feminism and, and about the female experience, but there's things like that which are so subtle and interesting that that's what I really cottoned on to. Like, when She-Hulk, when Jennifer Walters first gets... Um, gammered um, like Bruce like oh you've got to go through this you've got to go through this montage and you've got to like, really wrestle with it and she's just like huh no yeah I'm fine yeah I'm dealing with that I'm back off to work now isn't no 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 you've got to spend months dealing with this and, and learning about this and, and really like learning how to control your strength and it's very like a manly, manly masculine way of, de- of dealing with the issue whereas Jen's just like no I've got to I've got to go back to work I've got to <laughs> you know live and it's just like she her approach to it where it's just like yeah i know i'm a superhero now but i fought and fought and fought to become a lawyer Mm. under under whatever circumstances she would have had to deal with as as a woman in that system and just because she's a superhero doesn't mean that she's going to give up on that vocation that the that she went you know spent years and years and years and hundreds of thousands of pounds to then go to fund and she's just like do the avengers have a pension do they have like you know healthcare? And it's just like, what does Ant Man do for a job? What does Hulk do for a job? You know, what does Falcon do for a job? Like all these male superheroes, just like, well, I'm a superhero, and that's my identity now. And like, who cares about a job? Like, I'll go I'm superhero. Whereas that the theme and the example, and I realize you know I'm saying this as a as a man, so it might not be completely correct, but this is my reading of it from She Hulk that what it's actually putting forward about the female experience, that part of it really hit hard about there was this life-changing experience to her, but for but for her and her lived experience, she just just gets on with it, just gets on with doing it and, and living her life and trying to still feel like she has um, a part in it, which is really, which is probably my favourite thing about it. Recommendation time from me. Oh, God. Oh, Pete, Pete wasn't going to let himself lose eight. Well, well, I guess I guess it's a, a kind of second stage recommendation. So I've already recommended the core <laughs> Ace version Combat of 8. this to you. Yeah, Ace Combat Eight. Well, catch it. Um, so um, we've talked a little bit about Blood Bowl before, Sam. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast. Probably. Yes, probably. we have. Oh, we have. Do you know what episode we talked? About? It was. It was. A, I, oh, I think it was um, eighty four. P. Eighty four. Excellent. Good work, Chris. Um, that was ages ago. So. Well, it was ages ago, wasn't it? We talked about Blood that, Bowl. That was that was the episode where I went to Element Games and you bullied. Sorry, you convinced encouraged. me to get a copy yeah, of Blood Bowl. Gently encouraged, encouraged me with physical yeah. violence. And <laughs> um, so, um, so one of the reasons that I kind of talked to you about Blood Bowl about hey, maybe this is you know you wanted you were like mm, maybe I'll get into a miniatures game and we talked about yeah. well one of the games that you can get into that's much smaller in terms of scale because you can just buy a box and you're done was Blood Bowl because it's been yeah. much closer to a traditional tabletop game. It's kind of a hybrid between a tabletop game and a miniatures game in that you buy a box and with the version that you got, uh, you got the humans and the orcs, uh, and then that's it. I mean, if you don't want to buy anything else, you've got a full game. It's a great game. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. But if you want to, you can go and buy loads of miniatures, more expansions, more books, more all that sort of stuff. You can paint the models. You can... Great stuff. So that used to be a way that uh, people might get into games workshop games back in the day so there was a a, a sort of suite of games that generally would be the ones where i would often hear so a a guy i used to work with said oh the thing that got me into gw games was and it would usually be uh, for him it was blood bowl Uh, for another pal of mine was um, space hulk uh, which again you buy a box you're done and uh, one of them was warhammer quest that was one of the ones that i really really liked Uh, and again you buy a box you're done so GW's kind of um, moved this uh, idea forward a fair bit recently. And one of the things that they do is, from what I understand, and I don't really, I'm, I'm not involved in the miniatures side of things, um, but from what I understand, part of the reason that they are, one of the things that they're trying to do at the moment is 
to try to encourage new players into the hobby, right? So and that, that, that it doesn't really matter how they do it. What they uh, they just want the end result, and the end result is somebody who comes along, gets into the hobby, does it for two or three years when they're young, drops out when they get interested in you know uh, in um, dating or whatever, and then comes back in ten or fifteen years' time uh, to really start ploughing the money into the the hobby and reliving their childhood, uh, like I've done. So some of the ways that they do this. For example, are there maybe like a free miniature that you can get? And oh, encourage your friends to come along and, and join you, and we'll give them a free miniature. Or hey, let's get you playing a game today. Let's do this. And some of it is in this new series of board games, kind of board games that they that they've been doing that have been deliberately aimed at smaller, faster experiences that use a bunch of their more common models with lighter rule sets that are thematically close to the settings that they are part of yeah so Mm -hmm. for example uh one of the ones they have is like set in the age of sigma which is like a fantasy thing and the idea is that like you're trying to defend against i think it's ghosts or skeletons or something like that and you're these big um these big knight warriors and and it's kind of like a um kind of like a tower defense game sort of a thing Right, moving tower defense game kind of thing. Um, and uh, great, they're all fine and dandy and they're all good. Um, but the one I've got recently, uh, I purchased uh, a, a little while ago, but only just managed to get to the table, is a game called Blitz Bowl. And okay. this, is, this is interesting in that it is a gateway game to what was classically seen as a gateway game. Blood Bowl is basically American football. The tabletop game, yeah, but with orcs but with and orcs. goblins and elves, and yeah. such a great yeah, game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a great game. It's a brilliant game. Fast. Uh, it's got um, it's got really well defined rule sets. It's got um, uh, it's got lots of fun humor to it as well. That's one of the things I really like about the the, the rule book. Uh, the rule books. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's kind of like old Warhammer Fantasy actually in that way, which I quite like. Blitz Bowl. Is the way it's described the opposite. is no, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so heavy. Um, no, the the way that um, the way that Blitzball describes itself is this is the game that the teams play in the off season. So um, it's much faster, much smaller teams. Uh, so rather than having twelve or thirteen players or whatever it is, uh, team sizes are six, six aside, um, and rather than the core mechanic of Blood Bowl, which is essentially. As soon as you screw up once, you pass the game over to your opponent. That's yeah. that's that's kind of like a big core mechanic in Blood Bowl. Um, the core mechanic in Blitz Bowl is, cool, you get three moves. You have six players, you have three moves. What do you want to do with them? And that could be a move action. It could be a, uh, a block action, so tackle somebody. Uh, that could be a evade action. You could bring somebody on from the uh, from the bench, so, so uh, you could replenish a, a fallen character, basically. Oh, uh, you could throw the ball. You can, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you can only do three of those things, and then you hand it over to your opponent. So if you screw up, doesn't matter. Three three things, then your opponent, then your opponent. Um, it's two players, and the thing that they also add into the to this rule set that they have and obviously all of this is played with dice and miniatures and a board game with little a board with little squares and a little ball that you throw to you know that miniatures throw from one one uh, one character to another and um, the other thing that they add into this which is really cool is almost kind of like stunts so you have a deck of cards that like uh, something like eight minute empire or okay pause for uh, effect uh what's that one where you go delving you have to delve deep and then go up and build your city out and then delve deep above and, and below then, above and below the one with the choose yeah. your own adventure yeah above and below yeah, yeah. the ryan okay. locket game yeah yeah that's it yeah right yeah okay um and also like uh above and below whereby you've got kind of you've got sets of items that are that stick around for a while and then you can purchase them at certain values or, or get access to them at certain times, that kind of thing. So kind of like Amen Empire, kind of like that, that sort of thing. With this one, you're essentially doing things like showboating to the crowd. 
And if you do those things, if you if you successfully fulfill the requirements on the card, and you'll have three cards face up at any one time uh, during your turn, if you manage to fulfill those things, say, for example, score a touchdown, or take out another player, or make a long throw, or whatever it is, then you'll get extra points. So, you, so it's not just about scoring uh, touchdowns, actually now about how well do you play how because really the the kind of idea for it is okay. like showing off to the team it kind of like in between seasons look how great a blood bowl player i am um, I, I, I like that because because one of the one of my problems with blood bowl mm-hmm. was always like right it'd be great i've got a player right down the end of the field yeah right it'd be great if i could just long throw he'll yeah. run to the touch touchdown but then you like look at the odds and you're like I'll just Mm. pass it to that person there and just slowly make our way to the end. But the reason that you do that is because if you screw that up, everything you have been working towards at that point is for naught, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in this one, you can still completely fumble, right? So uh, uh, I was playing against a friend of the show, Greg, uh, and he went to throw the ball, and he literally threw it behind him. It was a, one of the worst rolls Classic I've ever Greg. seen. Classic <laughs> Greg, right? He threw the ball behind him. And, and that could have, in Blood Bowl, that would be like, I would just walk away from the table, because you've probably lost at that point. Like, it can be very, very tense, yeah. and it can be, you know, it, you know, there's lots and lots of turns. You know, it will, and, and you might be playing that game for like two hours, right? It's a relatively quick miniatures game, but it's still a fairly long game, if you know, even if you know what you're doing. Blitz Bowl, I got three games in within two hours. The first one was 45 minutes to an hour because we were learning the rules. Yeah, teaching, yeah. Right. So, so that's one of the first things that I think is amazing. There's less pressure. There's less like, oh God, I'm going to screw this up. The other, I mean, obviously the miniatures are amazing. Like, obviously the detail on them is incredible. Obviously you have a small player count, so you don't actually have to paint all that many. Obviously they all come in colour plastic, so you don't have to paint them at all. Uh, you don't even really have to do all that much building. They're all pu- they're something called push fit, so they all just stick together. You don't even need to use glue. But the things that the thing that really grabbed me about this, and, and it's a fantastic playing game, I really love it. The actual gameplay itself is absolutely wonderful. You know, like I say, making throws, making runs. It can be really, really quick, really great split decisions of like, oh, go over this way. Some amazing trials. Like there were moments where I was cheering, there were moments where I had my head head in the hands in my hands, like in the same match. It was it was really good fun. But here is where it comes. So I'm, I'm. This is the. Se- so there are now three versions of Blitz Bowl. There is Blitz Bowl first season, Blitz Bowl second season, and something called Ultimate Season. Um, I have second season. I imported it from the United States because it is only available in Germany and the US at the moment. Though I f- flipping well hope that it gets import uh, imported over to here, and I strongly recommend doing it if you can, or if you know somebody over in the states. Um, to to get it for you, or you're in the states. The cool thing about it from s- in fact first season onwards, but second season especially, is in this box they also then go ahead and include. We've given you an entire new set, uh, a new deck, and it's called the special ball rules. And basically, you choose one of these cards, and the ball will act in completely separate way for this game, right? It's completely changing the way that the game plays. Oh, did you want to use some of the teams, some of the other teams, like for example, Elven Union or uh, the Necromantic, uh, like Undead team? If you want to use them, that's fine. Here's all of the rules to include all of them. No expansions, no nothing. They're all included in the in the actual deck itself. You can go and get all these things. And the beauty of this thing is that if you don't want to, you don't have to get the miniatures. You could literally just print out six tokens. And be like, yep, this is a necromantic uh, uh, blitzer or whatever it is. Uh, here you go, off they go. Like, you can just do that because there is no such thing as line of sight. There's no such thing as uh, you know um, that positional play in that kind of a way. So the game is basically it comes with two teams, and obviously they want you to kind of go and buy some models, but you don't have to. You can just so if I wanted to go and play as the uh, Chaos Marauders or uh, sorry the Chaos whoever they are, um, or if I wanted to go and play as the Elven Union or the uh, the Wood Elves or something like that, I'd just print out the tokens if I really wanted to, and it would be basic, well, it would be exactly the same game. 
Also in the rule sets. Hey, do you want to run a league? Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to um, do you want to uh, build out your team with coach traits that completely change the way that you're like the the way that you will start a game, for example? Do you want to put together like do you want to know more about the world of Blitz Bowl and Blood Bowl? There's all sorts of incredible like lore in here and like little jokes and and that kind of thing. So a li- and and the way that it's presented is just so brilliant. But we had a romantic evening together, Sam. Oh, we did have a romantic evening together. Oh. I put on the soundtrack from Notting Hill. We uh, settled into uh, um, mm. a mm. a game of uh, rom- of romantic desire because we played Fog of Love. Now I heard about Fog of Love years ago, and all the reviewers I encountered said, "Whatever you do, don't play this with your partner." And I was like. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened was probably one of the most enjoyable gaming experiences I've had in ages. I've not stopped. I did not stop laughing. I've not stopped thinking about our relationship, Sam. <laughs> Me neither. Now, was was the humour coming from the fact that you aren't a couple? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there are a couple of summing. <laughs> Spoilers <laughs> for the audience. No, the the, um, the humour completely comes one hundred percent from from the game from the game itself. Okay, so it isn't it's, isn't attached because of the circumstances in which you played on it. The game itself comes with a strapline: it's fog of love, romantic comedy as a board game. So it's very much set up to provide situations um, to to create create humour. Hence, why I put on the the Notting Hill soundtrack. It's it's a bit of a difficult game to describe but yeah it's a very easy one as well because it that kind of strapline does it all basically it is a romantic comedy simulator but how the game works is it's strictly two player you start the game by picking um a color it's either it it comes across as very heteronormative when you when you when you start playing it but really it's not because you've got colors like pink and blue uh, but then you can pick your gender um but it doesn't actually refer to gender it just pick one of two sort of types of person and then you go around you start the process of creating them so and you create them by um basically taking these cards that are called traits Traits. and these traits basically form a core part of the gaming experience which I'll come on to later and and these traits are things like the fact that you're a warrior or you're charismatic or you're cocky or you're confident or you you know you're you've got self-confidence issues like those kind of those kind of personality traits and then the next thing to happen is you'll pick the features of your character well you don't pick your features you pick the features of your um, of the person that you're playing with and this is where the game starts to drip in these little elements of comedy and humor and also this element of a shared um, experience because as you're picking a feature for your other player you've got to say a little bit about what it was about that feature that attracted you to that player so <laughs> uh, in mine um I've I've played this a couple of times uh, with Chris and also with my wife, uh, who is still my wife after playing with this game. So I can attest to this not um, uh, uh, ruining relationships as some people seem to believe that it it will do. So you pick features and then you say to that person. So, for example, for my wife, she was playing a character who wore wore a character who wore uh, secondhand clothes and who had piercing blue eyes and um, those kind of things. And each time you hand over a feature to the other player, they you, you explain something about what it was that you you've, that attracted you, that, that particular feature that attracted you, you to them. And then you pick an occupation. So for me and, for me and Chris's game, uh, where we were playing um, Brandy and Donna, I was Brandy. I was Brandy, I was a security guard uh, with a booming voice. <laughs> 
and a slow speaker. I spoke slowly with a booming voice. Thank you, Chris, for picking those traits for for Brandy. And Donna was a career criminal. <laughs> and so, and and what was great about that is we picked those occupations in secret, so we didn't actually know that that was going to be the the scenario that we were walking into. So immediately, the game does an incredible job of of create helping you create these very rich and fully formed characters. And I and I say rich with a bit of a caveat. You know, they're romantic comedy characters. They are the stereotypes. You know, like if you think like Hugh Grant, like the, you know, um, the the very embarrassed, you know, very insular, Charmingly British befuddled. person, befuddled. Yeah, and then you've got the brash American, loudmouth Julia Roberts kind of type coming up against each other. And so even as a very random process when it comes to picking the characters it does a very good job of of um of of, of starting to create these worlds um that you, that that you you've got to inhabit if you're interested um in the other game in one of the other games i played i played sydney who was a policeman and uh my wife was julia who was a politician and <laughs> which is also an interesting combination and then the game is does a, a strange trick where it balances some very traditional gaming mechanics, but with um, with elements with it that are trying to tell a story. So as I said at the start, you get these trait cards which say something about your personality and define a way in which you're expected to behave as the game goes on. And you essentially win the game in quote quotes um if you're able to basically act in scenes so yes you win the game if you act in scenes so you each have a hand at these particular scenes and some of these are just basic kind of simple scenarios really um i don't know plucking one out of the air you go to you go shopping and you try on an item of clothing and essentially you get a series of choices of how both parties can react to this. Right. And you secretly vote for the option you want to go for. If you both get the same vote, if you both vote for the same thing, there's a little perk that comes from that. And that's almost like your health bar, really. And it's symbolized by hearts just how in love you are because of that fact. Oh, we're on the same page. Oh, you like that as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but you may not want to do that because when you're, look, you're looking, you've got these objective cards that the other player cannot see. And these are almost like life goals that you want from this relationship. And they are measured by these kinds of different kind of emotional um, or kind of life kind of skills or attainment that you kind of want to get on the board. So yes, even though I want to, that's the answer I should be picking. By picking that, the outcome of that is it's going to severely limit my chances of meeting one of my objectives in front of me. And saying that out loud, it's really interesting because one could almost imagine in another game that being you trying to score off the other player, thinking for yourself and not for them which is very like a relationship sometimes, where sometimes it skews more to you thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, it's also equally negative to just want to just please the other person. Yeah, uh, and, and it's so interesting how, to a degree, it, it, it does kind of almost the impossible. It gamifies emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it almost, like, in a, in a kind of objective manner, it actually finds a very logical and what feels to be um, a very real kind of response to something that is in- inherently subjective and qualitative. Mm. And those moments where, you know, the scenario is played, Sam and I just look at each other, we can't confer, and then we place our votes. And he's like, oh my, the stakes feel unusually high for me trying something off in a dressing room and wondering what we both make of this decision for what I've chosen to wear. Yeah. And then reveal it. And then it doesn't matter almost about the outcome um, and I don't know if this was the same for you when you played it with Lisa, Sam, because we played the tutorial, but it was more thinking, mm-hmm. oh, great, oh, brilliant, there's a conflict there. Oh, so what does this mean for our relationship? And we talk it out. The, the, the kind of the gamey aspect of it, of trying to game the game, seems kind of not how it should be. Whereas actually what it gave us was wonderful kind of narrative fuel to kind of talk about the ebbs yeah. and flows of this relationship and what mm-hmm. we've learned from each other. 
and I could tell at times that Sam was making decisions that were going to impact negatively on him but would help me because he could kind of almost infer and see on the shared board in front of us what almost I was trying to go for. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the... Uh, there's a thing, isn't there, Sam? Secrets as well, which I think is a really interesting. Oh, thing. the secrets were so much fun, yeah. Yeah, so when you're committing cards from your hand, sometimes you'll just play a card and slide it under the board. And that means that you've got a secret, something that you're hiding from your other other player. And certain things come along that let you reveal secrets. And then there was just this wonderful uh, frisson that, 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 again, how it like, like simulates those things in relationship. Again, like in a romantic corridor, comedy where a character will just give a little look or have their eyes open whilst they're hugging each other that just gives away that there's something else going on in the relationship that they don't quite know about and (laughs) for example Chris's it turned out that he was this career criminal and his secret was that he'd already wanted to open his own bakery Uh, but you forced that secret out of me it's almost like we had an argument and like I felt that I had to kind of share that with you and bear and my what soul. hurt me the most and my character <laughs> was that you felt like that was something that you couldn't share with with me and it was just like the most lovely and kind and like um you know what generous secret to like follow this passion that you've already had but you just felt like you couldn't share it with me despite the fact that you're a criminal and i know it like it was it all fog of love just had everything that i would need to create a quick quick vibrant world to exist in for you know half an hour 45 minutes and just play with a couple of characters and have fun and i've never i've not played a game like it in my life You were going to, Dan, voice a video game character, which for a major motion picture. <laughs> oh, which topical. one would you I wonder, pick? I wonder what this could be related to. Uh, that's quite the question to throw on a man. Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, Chris, go on then. Gut instinct. Spire of the dragon. Boom. Good, good shout. Mm. Good shout. Pete? Detective Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu. <laughs> I got Crash Bandicoot. Oh. Fair enough. Don't know if I could pull it off, but how about you, Sam? Where where are you sitting in the pantheon of movie adaptations? I'll go with uh Solid Snake. Because it's not what you would expect. <laughs> I feel like yeah, I'd you give lose it a fresh some of the energy. gravitas. I feel. Sam, yeah. can you just can you just give us a sense? Can you just give an impression of like I don't know, kept kept you waiting, her or okay. You know, here we go. The Hudson River. Um, yeah. Okay. Should we should we get should we get some lines from the um, let's let's get some lines. Yeah. What, Pete, Pete, can, can you Pete, start? Can you be the, the general? Outro? Can you can you what's the name of the? Can you just okay. imagine that you and Sam are on codec? Yeah. Metal All right. Gear Solid. <laughs> yeah. So I'll imagine that I'm on the codec and Sam's in the field doing his voice acting. Okay, I've got the transcript yeah. for the first game. Okay. Well, I'm not going to need that. Uh, so... Uh, Snake, come in. Hello? Yeah. Right, okay. Well, okay. This is this is off to a good start. Snake. Um, I've heard that uh, since this is a sneaking mission, you'll need lots of intel. Um, for example, where can people find us on social media? Maybe they could go to the FOB and see us mm. there, which is, as we all know, our forward operating base is staying in podcast. <laughs> Yep, that's perfect. Um, is this working as well as you'd hope, Pete? I, I mean, it's working to some. It's doing something, isn't it? We- we- weapons and equipment OSP. It's giving Sam a bit of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> um, uh, that's great, Snake. You, uh, of course, you can procure more items from Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Um, yeah. Make sure, <laughs> just if you need to reach me, make sure that you use the code stayinginpod at gmail.com to send right on. To, to send <laughs> secure communications. Groovy. Yeah. <laughs> Groovy. Yeah, that's one one of one of Snake's famous. Um <laughs> This is an absolute bizarre. My favourite bit um, is just the very first thing. Snake, are you there? Hello? Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um And um you know, as always, uh the 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 best thing that you as as we know, Snake, yeah. memes replicate themselves all the time. You know what memes are like? It's like when you yeah. tell your friend about a podcast that you really like and then they're also listening to it on a, on their podcast player. But what else can we do to fight the war of misinformation about how about the quality of the podcast, Snake? Maybe they could leave some reviews, yep. Colonel. Yeah, okay. And, and, and just like the number of stars on your epaulets, they could leave us five. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean that wasn't a that wasn't a million miles away from the <laughs> Sons of Liberty script. I mean, it was like like I don't, like I don't know how you can countenance that, but oh, there we yeah. go. Right, well, I'm hitting stop on the recording before we do any more damage. <sighs> All right then.